This time, we're taking a look at the giant monster throwback film, Eight-Legged Freaks. And along the way, we ask, why was there a world where David Arquette was a leading man? Why don't more citizens have guns in rural Arizona? And is this movie nightmare fuel or just plain parody? Just because we're paranoid doesn't mean we're not recording a podcast. This is Force Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, 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 gang. Welcome back. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi. I am the spider guru, Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. And I am the bug smasher, Chris Rupp. (laughs) The bug smasher. I like it, man. I like it. Uh, Welcome back, man. Another fantastic episode along the way. I mean, I wouldn't call it fantastic just yet. I mean, we are talking eight-legged freaks today. (laughs) Oh, God. And actually, we were discussing before the episode, I told you, to uh, prepare myself so I can at least enjoy something of this review, I poured myself a nice little glass of Buffalo Trace. There you and go. Yourself, and, that's, and in that same spirit, I have a glass of wild turkey because anything Matthew McConaughey endorsed, uh, I have to buy it except for a Lincoln because <laughs> I can't afford a Lincoln. <laughs> you know, actually, I forgot that he endorses wild turkey. I got to get that. It's it's weird. Here's a little uh, sidebar. But I started buying alcohol based on like celebrities and I don't have a bunch I just bought the Dan Aykroyd skull vodka now I'm focusing in on the rock tequila and I don't drink tequila but I just want to buy it to have it so I could say I have the rocks tequila so now I'm going to get wild turkey just because Matthew McConaughey well now you need to um, even it out with uh, aviation gin from Ryan Reynolds and you need to get that tequila that George Clooney endorses because apparently if you're uh, a handsome celebrity you are endorsing an alcohol <laughs> that you know that is true i have had i have a shot like an airplane bottle of his casamigos um and we're unfortunately not sponsored by casamigos but i do want to buy a bottle but i saw it at the liquor store and it was like 55 dollars. i'm like really sean do you want to spend 55 dollars on a bottle of tequila that you're probably never going to drink but I will force myself. But aviation gin, I will buy because I love gin. So thank you for that, Chris Ruff. You are the man. <laughs> you are welcome. I'm always happy to recommend alcohol. You know that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let's get back to eight-legged freaks here and provide a brief, the briefest of synopsis for our listeners. <laughs> yes. So set in a rural, rural town in Arizona, uh, a mysterious chemical leaks into a local pond and it somehow infects the insects there. And these insects are in turn fed to the, this mysterious, these, these bunch of spiders that live in, in the mysterious man's shack. And then these spiders grow to <laughs> ginormous size. They escape because obviously, and then they proceed to attack the town, kill its residents. And then the town res, the town has to find a way to kill all the spiders and live to fight another day. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like a uh, great synopsis for a it awesome is a, movie. It is an attempt to modernize the old uh, sci-fi B movie genre of the giant monsters from mm-hmm. you know whatever you know attack of the giant ants, attack of the giant cockroaches, attack of the giant. Insert whatever insect you want, and this is basically the plot of this film. 
Yeah, but the difference is those films, despite how bad they are as B movies, they have that like black and white nostalgia to them because it's like, well, they're made in the forties and fifties. How good was CGI? You know, so they have like that vintage feel. But this is just no. <laughs> yeah, you you, you know what you're this. getting into when you're when you're watching a movie like them or Attack of the Giant Woman or something like that because it is in black and white. It is from a, a woe begotten decade, and it's you just you you have an idea of what you're getting into when you watch something like yes. that. This is just it's it's a it's a <laughs> lot of head scratching going on here when with when it comes to eight legged freaks. It is. So the biggest head scratch, one of the bigger head scratchers of this is the director. His name is uh, Elroy, Elroy, Alakem, 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 I think is how his last name is pronounced. Uh, Ellery Alakem. Alakem, and he's from New Zealand, Roy. So, and his his like filmography really isn't that, fantastic before this he had a movie called the nest and then after eight legged freaks he did some not too great films called return of the living dead there's two of them he directed and then i guess i remember this um later well i guess this is a spinoff of it's called without a paddle nature's calling and that's pretty much it he hasn't really directed anything since i can only question why (laughs) <laughs> well, it clearly because of the just a B movie quality of Eight Legged Freaks, that was all he could get from then on. Um, that, yeah, it's probably his biggest movie I think that he ever helmed. It's 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 insane. I mean, I mean, this, he's from New Zealand, so I mean, there's also there's a pretty good crop of New Zealand filmmakers that are coming out like now. I mean, we have Taika Waititi, Thor Ragnarok, and Jojo Rabbit, and also. Um, Jermaine Clement, who has co-created What We Do in the Shadows, along with Taika Waititi. So this guy, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to pin him down. He's probably looking at the other guys from New Zealand and just looking at them and thinking, what did what did I do wrong? <laughs> like, well, you made four B-movie qualities that uh, four, just four duds of films. That's what happened to you, man. Yeah, not it's very tough to come back, bounce back from all that. You know, it's and I don't think there's really any like the producer. I think the guy, the producers, Dean Devlin. I mean, his big things before this was like Godzilla. I guess you could say because he did the Patriot Independence Day, you know, Stargate. He had some clout to him as a producer so it like made sense okay he's more of these big budget films but i think after this film it kind of also killed his career with cellular and really didn't have anything until independence day resurgence which we know how fantastic that film was as well so <laughs> well yeah i mean he was able to i think he was able to secure a decent enough budget based on the fact that it was this big time producer from Godzilla and Independence Day. And there's a $30 million budget attached to this film. And after seeing it, I have to think at least two thirds of that went to the visual effects because the mm-hmm. rest of it, the rest of the cast is just rounded out by uh, has-beens and unknowns at the time. And we have David Arquette oh, playing yeah. Chris McCormick and his big claim to fame in the, in the nineties was playing um, Dewey in the scream series. Yeah. Um, and then you've just got other unknowns. You have a uh, Carrie uh, Wurr as Sam Parker, Scott Tara as Mike Parker, um, child actors. You've all uh, Dougie Doug as Harlan. 
uh, Leon Rippey, one of the one of the great Hollywood everymans. He's fantastic. He just has a great laugh. But then you also get Scarlett Johansson in one of her very first film roles. <laughs> well, see, that's that's what this is. This is one of those like you know, even Tom Hanks made Splash. So you know, there's always those first beginning roles that you know don't turn out the best. But you got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. And little did Scarlett Johansson know, after this film, the next year she would star in Lost in Translation with Bill Murray in 03, which is a fantastic movie, which I would recommend. This is Force Fed Sci-Fi's movie of recommendation. Check it out if you want to see Bill Murray sleepwalk through his lone Oscar nomination. It is a great film. Lost in Translation, folks. Yeah, I'll co-sign that. But that, yeah, you're right. That is pretty much the cast, and I will echo your... uh, your sentiments this it's pretty much a bunch of has-beens or nobodies except for you know david arquette who is now a wrestler i guess yeah so. or no he tries to be a wrestler sort of like the same way cm punk tries to be an mma fighter <laughs> yeah and fails miserably <laughs> yeah that's true and if any wrestling fans out there i know david arquette he's like one of the controversial things during and i'm a wrestling fan now so i'm sorry you can he won a title during WCW's run, I believe, in the 90s. And it was, like, really controversial at the time because uh, he was a celebrity and he really didn't know how to wrestle. But I guess David Arquette in later years said, you know what? I'm going to make up for that. I'm going to try to be a professional wrestler. So that's what he's been doing in his recent life. So kudos for him, you know? trying to. Yeah, but he, but he'll come running anytime a new Scream movie is made, so... I don't think the wrestling world is quite a big hold on him as he likes to think. No, 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 I don't think so. So, Eight-Legged Freaks. How did this film get off the ground, Chris? You know, I mean, besides that, there's not a lot of production notes to, I mean, go over. The only real thing that I can find is um, the director got the idea from a short film he made that also had some sort of, like... um, it had some sort of storyline where a bunch of uh, like uh, townsfolk fight a bunch of spiders, but the film I read was originally supposed to be titled Iraq Attack, and there's there's even some like movie posters, like European posters that even have that name. But th- the producers also thought it would be too similar to Iraq Attack because this also <laughs> came out right around the time of the start of the uh, Iraq War, and so the 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 title was then changed to Eight-Legged Freaks after Arquette ad-libbed um, that line in the film. Um, I even remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember a trailer way back in the day, and that's how it ended, was Arquette screaming that line, get back, you eight-legged freaks, as the film's title is superimposed onto screen. I don't know why I remember that, but that's just, <laughs> ugh, it's just so, you. it's just, it lives in my head rent-free. I'm, I mean... You know, I would almost, I wish they did a rack attack just because, you know, how it is. But that's kind of ironic you know, that they didn't want to do it because of the war. It's almost worth them keeping that line just for the controversy alone because there's not much else that's noteworthy about this film. I mean, it's mm-hmm. shot in Arizona, which is to be expected. There's giant spiders and havoc ensues that's that's the only way i can sum up this movie it's paper thin yeah yeah it's basically it's yeah it's your typical uh monster attacks you know but um 
instead of like uh, a story like in the birds or Godzilla, even Jaws, this has really no no story. <laughs> so I guess we can uh, get into. I guess Chris, how do you how do you feel about monster films? You know, because we're we're gonna talk about we've talked about Godzilla uh, versus Kong, and I'm sure in our you know, film major Samantha will one day pick Godzilla from 2014 and probably the other one. So what do you think about monster films? You know, I like monster films as long as there is a story to tell. And like the original Godzilla films were supposed to be symbolic of um, like the atomic age and just this sort of this man versus nature uh, fight that seems to be prevalent in just about every film that that comes out but i like monster films as long as there is a a story or something something there that that connects us not only to the giant creatures but also to the humans themselves and i think this is a conversation that we that we sort of had when we talked about um jurassic park is yes these monsters are scary but we also we connect deeply to if we're watching Jurassic Park, we connect to Alan Grant is pre- he's protecting those children or even in the Godzilla film from 2014, we're connecting to Aaron Taylor Johnson's character as he's just trying to defend his family and protect his family. So there has to be some sort of deeper level that gets us hooked into the film. It can't just be this vapid journey that the characters go on just to kill giant, giant creatures, whatever they may be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it just if you well see I'll agree and I'll disagree with you I think if you have a film that's a monster film if you're gonna go all in on the schlock of just monsters like fighting then you have to have two forces like in my opinion and I'm sure we'll review this Kong vs. Godzilla that is a film that I believe they go all in on where it's just two guys duking it out and i think in that if you're embracing the embracing the schlock then it can work in some regards but if you throw in a hokey story that is so paper thin with family and just nonsense love interests that we don't give a crap about that's where i think a lot of these monster films just like go off the rails where you're like who cares (laughs) just kill them already whereas like how you mentioned with jurassic park jaws it's the story with the characters when you have the monster coming in and interacting with the characters and advancing the plot. I think that's when the stories really um, work, but not when the film is solely based around the monster, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll piggyback off of that. I will say that that monster films like this either have to go in one or two directions. They either have to pivot towards the human side of things and the mm-hmm. deeper connection that we have, or they have to lean into the spectacle like that. Yes. Like Pacific Rim, like P- yeah, Jurassic exactly. Park works because you connect to the characters. Pacific Rim works because it's major spectacle. It's giant robots fighting giant monsters. What more could you want from that film? <laughs> exactly. It's all schlock, but it's good schlock because you enjoy it. Uh, but yes, like with this, Good God. I think, like, to me, I think it was, like, the dialogue that was just, ooh. And we could talk, I guess, about, like, the David Arquette and the characters. To me, David Arquette was just awful. I just couldn't find anything appealing about his character. He was just 
maybe it was just the bad acting and bad lines, but it was just bad. Like him bringing the flowers to the late Scarlett Johansson's mom's house. I just, I was like, good Lord. This is, what was this written by a kid? They tried so hard to punch up David Arquette's dialogue in this film, and it just, it falls flat at so many points. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, Ellery LKM also wrote the script for this film with um, a fellow by the name of Jesse Alexander. Now, Jesse Alexander, he has no excuse for writing like this because he also wrote on uh, the show Heroes and American yeah. Gods. So uh, Jesse Alexander is capable of writing better dialogue, but just not here. Yes, and I think because the director also wrote the dialogue, I think maybe that's where we got a lot of the cheesy lines, like where I, I think, what's her name? The actress plays Samantha Parker or something. She's like, are those flowers for me? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, oh, they are for you. It's like, good Lord, what is what is this movie? A rom-com? Well, it also doesn't help that none of the other characters in the town are any sort of bastions for great humanity. <laughs> the town mayor is a complete turd. He's trying to sell the town from under everybody and also has these weird get-rich-quick schemes that wind up costing the town more money. Um, Joshua, the, 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 the spider guy, uh, he's really creepy. The radio DJ, Harlan, he's just plain crazy. Um, the deputy, Pete, he's just a massive dope. And Ashley's mm -hmm. boyfriend is way too grabby for his age. And, of course, there's also that dude in the diner when the spiders are attacking the town. He just leaves that waitress in there to die. Yeah. It's just. And then on of top of that, the sheriff's people. like Sam Parker, the sheriff of the town, her dead husband was a serial cheater. So even the dead people in this film are just awful. <laughs> Everyone is terrible. And no one is doing their job. So it just it's a conglomerate of just lousiness. It is a cesspool of just nonsense. They tried too hard to make David Arquette into into trying to make us believe that he is capable of being this every man type of hero. And he's just not. Like I could not no. buy into him having this leading man quality and, and being capable of saving the day. No, he's he's a bum. The whole film, he's a bum. He's like a loser at the beginning. And it's just really hard. Like, I've seen films, you know, where the hero's journey, the coming of age, all that, where, you know, they suck at the beginning, but then they learn and they grow through their failings. But this, no, this is just terrible. He just was so deplorable in the dialogue, the acting. It just was so tough to actually, like, care. And it's tough. I think as an audience member... If you give like, I think like, you know, the suspension of disbelief and the amount of um, the, the we will forgive a lot, I feel like as audience members. But if you're like 25, 30 minutes in the movie and you don't even care about this character and they're like not a good person at the beginning, it's really hard for me to be like, all right, he's going to save the day because he doesn't. David Arquette, I guess he I just don't think he's that leading man type. No, he's really not. And if this were somebody like Kurt Russell in this leading role, like I would totally buy into Kurt Russell, like trying to save this little town and save his father's oh, yeah. old silver mine or whatever. And then also getting the girl at the end of the movie. I could totally buy into it. I can't buy into David Arquette doing all of those things or even any one of those things. No, no, 
Exactly. There is a st- yes, Kurt Russell would be a fantastic lead in this, but not even no. Maybe even Zac Efron, I would take. <laughs> Zac Efron would have been like fifteen at the time, so I don't think he could have pulled this off either. <laughs> I'll kill you. Oh man. Well, you I'll know, kill those I'll- spiders and I'll find the silver. It's all okay. <laughs> Yeah, you right. know, his high school musical hadn't been done yet, so I'm assuming his voice sounded all like, you know, squeaky. You know what? And actually, speaking of like the young actors, you know what kind of made me feel weird in this film? Scarlett Johansson, like her quote unquote attraction to David Arquette was just a little creepy to me. Really? You you got the sense that she was attracted to David Arquette? Yeah. Like she was making comments to her mom and stuff like, oh, he's cute. Hey. And. I don't know. I just didn't like the way that she was portrayed in this film. I just I don't know. Felt... Maybe she was just trying to give an assist to her mom. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> she was trying her darndest. I, I feel like she's the only one in this film that I was like, you know what? She tried. She really tried. Granted, it is a little weird having your daughter or just your child in general be your your wingman or your your assist per your hype man or whoever, but then like you know, whatever. It's rural Arizona. I, I think a lot of things kind of pass out there. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I also am remember because I haven't seen this film in like a month and a half. So I'm going off of memory here, folks, and a little bit of bourbon. But didn't wasn't there a scene with her and her boyfriend where he was like trying to force himself on her? If I'm correct. Yeah, it was kind of it was God. leading up to the, like a big a uh, big spider attack, obviously, given the whole yeah. premise of the film. But they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of dirt bikes going around, and then he's getting handsy in the truck, and then uh, she tases him in the nutsack. <laughs> that was so great, though. I will and then it leads to the spider showing up, and then, the, yeah, then they have to run away on the dirt bikes, and it leads to probably what is the only decent action piece in the film. Yes, that, that was that was actually pretty good. But everything else. Oh, God. And, you know, I think it's time. Let's talk about the spiders. So what did you think? Um, folks, the spiders were big and it was all CGI. But how did you feel about this coming out in you know, 18, to, 19 years ago? It, to be honest, I don't think the CGI is all that bad, given the time. I mean, is it schlocky? Sure. But, I mean, there's also, they jam-packed the screen with a bunch of giant spiders. And I think if you want to be creeped out, this is maybe not the film for you to watch. But because they're just, there are moments in the film where there's literally thousands of giant spiders on screen. And the the, the visual effects certainly pulled off what they wanted to do. And, I mean, granted, this is also the same time that the, the Lord of the Rings The Two Towers came out. So, mm. there, I would argue that there are better examples of cgi from this same year but all in all i don't think this was that bad of a job when it comes to the visual effects you know i'm gonna agree with you there i feel like the spiders weren't terrible exactly for their time and in comparison to lord of the rings which actually i just did a marathon fun fact but i think the i agree with you the spiders were great i think they're like the only redeeming part of this movie because you just you don't care about any of the characters, so you just want them all to die. And I do think in this film, the fun part of it is seeing how the k- spiders end up killing people in so many different ways. Like, coming out of a dude's mouth, they kill the initial creator, they kill an old man <laughs> in a freaking nursing home, which I felt bad about. 
I mean, there's they they kill a cat. They kill so many things. The spiders just rampage against people in this movie. So that is like, yeah, who, in my opinion, the redeeming element of it. Yeah, who would have thought that spiders could be so murderous? Yeah, exactly. Apparently, this director. Although, uh, I, I mean, granted, this film is paper thin, so I feel like this is an appropriate time to get into this. I mean, there's so many people that die in this film, but did you have a red shirt? Ah, oh, man, this is tough. So my red shirt would probably There's so be... many people that die. How do you pick just one? I know. There's so many people that died. I would say maybe the old man. Ah, uh, yeah, I would say... Well, actually, you know what I will... This will be both. So I'm going to say my red shirt is the cat. My red shirt is the cat, and my lens flare is also the cat. So I feel bad for the cat dying. I didn't I didn't think it was fair because we we haven't seen this in a while either. But movies do this. Whatever they want to show how terrible the evil force is, they kill an animal. And this poor defenseless cat ends up getting taken by a spider. But where the lens flare comes in is this cat is murdered in such a long it's so long in a horrific way where it basically gets sucked into this like cubby hole of this house. And then for the next five minutes, you see the spider, like you see the people that inhabit the house. They're going, Mr. Twinkles or whatever. And they're seeing this cat going Row! and getting thrown against like the wall. And you see like this cartoon cutout of this cat coming through the wall where it looks like Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. I mean, it's so terrible and schlocky and, I I guess that's where the comedy elements of this movie comes in, but it was just so over the top and annoying. I was just like, dude, why did you have to kill the cat? But why did you have to kill the cat like that? That's just too much for me. So I'm gonna knock them both out with that, Chris. How about you? <laughs> no, uh, if I if I had to pick just one, um, I'm gonna have to go with the um, with the black guy who's working in the in the in the silver mine with Chris. Um, yeah. I think the actor's name is uh his name is J Arlen Jones um and he uh he also he plays a character uh named Leon and if you don't recognize him he's uh he plays a character of Occam in The Patriot so um so awesome actor but he he's killed in just the in the weirdest way he goes and pulls out that tube in the mine and he tries to suck whatever's out of the tube out but he winds up sucking up a bunch of spiders and then they're in his <laughs> mouth and he just has this look of pure terror as he feels the spiders <laughs> crawling out of his mouth and then all of a sudden he looks to the side and the big spider i guess it's consuela just rips him off screen and we're left to assume that he just that he's killed and eaten but i just felt so bad for him <laughs> uh, yep i agree with you that scene was just oh it sucked. <laughs> and to be honest, I was amazed that you were able to pick just one lens flare because to me, this film is chock full of lens flares. That it was terrible. again, it's the same issue as the red shirts. It's how do you pick just one? I mean, you you have the whole, you have the silver mine, the silver load itself at the end of it, where they where they find it, or I guess it's gold and. And they find it there. You also have this probably bothered me the most. You have the squeaky spiders that make these little these little noise whenever they die, and that was that was just frightening. And then also you have the, the 
the massacre of uh, Leon Rippey's ostriches there as the town starts to figure out exactly what is going on. Um, however, if I do have to pick something, I'm going to have to go with um, all these little cultural references that um, that the screenwriters kind of peppered in throughout the film. I mean, there's that, that weird line that they have when they're holed up in the mall. It's like, what is that? And he goes, it's Spider-Man. Like, there's that. There's references to Friday the 13th and all these other things. And if I have to, yeah, I'm not a huge fan when films kind of make these these self-aware or cutesy references. I think I've mentioned that before on this show, but mm-hmm. that is my lens flare. All these little time capsule cultural references that that are meant that are here in this film it's safe to say that eight-legged freaks is a slice of pop culture from 2002 oddly enough it is it is it's terrible it's absolutely and it did not age well <laughs> no this is this is aged like milk if i if i have to put any if i had to put something to it this is this is age like 15-year-old milk. <laughs> well, speaking of age, let's get into the uh, legacy of this film. So, All right. Eight, so, eight-legged freaks. So with a budget of $30 million, it's surprisingly, in my opinion, surprisingly gross, uh, $45 million, which how do you feel about that, Chris? Do you think it was just a popcorn flick? Like, came out in the summer. July seventeenth, twenty, you know, two thousand two. So maybe people were just like, ah, spider flick. I'll eat some of that, you know. You know, it could have been riding on um on the coattails of Spider Man, which came out I think in May earlier that year, and people probably saw this and be like, Hey, we just saw the Spider Man movie, let's go see this. <laughs> spiders are in our brain. Let's go see more spiders. <laughs> So Toby Maguire and Sam Raimi probably gave this film more of an assist than they originally intended to, but I have a hard time believing that this film actually made any sort of money because when you're calculating how much a film has to make, you also have to take into account the marketing budget, which normally isn't mentioned when you're looking up figures like this. So if this film made money, it could not have been very much. No, but it did somehow break even. Which is crazy. But in regards of like reception and everything, I believe this film didn't do well. It's got an approval rating of 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, take that as you will. But yeah, it's got a higher, a slightly higher score on Metacritic at a 53. But I mean, I don't know. There's just not a lot to take away from this film. I mean, yes, is it. Is it popcorn fair? It sure is because Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars because he was insane in the later part of his life. But he he also called it like on the same level as Critters, which yeah. you know I kind of I kind of have to disagree with him on that. There, I think Critters is a better film than this. Oh, without a doubt, that's classic. <laughs> that's classic horror comedy. But oddly enough, this also. There were plans for a sequel to be made for this film, but there's been no mention of that since 2003. So I I, I highly doubt that we're going to get a sequel for this. Thank God. I I don't, you know what? I don't think there's anyone clamoring to see David Arquette do a sequel. But you know what, Chris? Two, th- you know, 2022 is right around the corner, so they may do one once the 20th anniversary comes around. People will be like, "Hey, David Arquette, you want to do another sequel?" and or maybe they'll reboot it. Would you want to see a reboot of this film? 
I don't know if I even want to see a reboot of it because it's <laughs> like, what are you going to do differently? I mean, are you going to have what other you're still going to have to have giant spiders. And the only yeah. different thing you can do is maybe characters and story and, and, and the setting, I mean. But like, what exactly are you going to do different if you remake this movie? You can't. It's a terrible. And isn't plot. this already a remake? So wouldn't wouldn't this is technically a this? I would consider this to be a remake or just an amalgamation of the giant monster flicks from the fifties. So really, this would kind of any remake after this would just kind of like be a remake cubed. Yeah. It's, remake uh, to the third power. I mean, and then you then you just get like how how deep is the well of giant monster flicks here? <laughs> Uh, apparently pretty I mean they've deep. <laughs> they've already run out of they've already run out of out of ideas for uh you uh the monster verse with Godzilla and King Kong so I can't <laughs> imagine this the well for eight-legged freaks being that deep maybe they'll tie it in and be like oh spiders attacking King Kong that's what we want to see yeah uh, King Kong would just eat him yes yes he would all right, well, I think this is a good time to get into a rating then. So, uh, Chris, uh, how would you rate Eight-Legged Freaks on our unique scale of would watch, wouldn't watch, would own, and would host a viewing party? You know, I think it's going to come to the surprise of no one that I would rate this a would not watch. I'm not going to erase it from my memory. I'm going to save that only for The Postman and A Sound of Fraudulent Thunder. Um but I think this film should have just been like a movie of the week on the sci-fi channel. Like this is, this should not have been a major release. Granted it had a decent budget at the time, but nowadays it just looks like it should have been relegated to, you know, a Friday night popcorn flick on the sci-fi channel with several commercial interruptions. Um, I think while the visual effects are praiseworthy, I think at times they are overused and I feel like that maybe some more animatronics or practical effects could have been used for the creature effects. And the characters are just so thin and they're terrible. And there's just so many people that die that we actually don't get a chance to connect with them. <laughs> so what's the point of watching this film if the if your favorite town person is just going to become spider food at by the time the climax hits? So I'm gonna I'm sticking with a would not watch for eight legged freaks. How about you, Sean? <laughs> well, you know what? I I uh, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. I would put this as a would not watch. I tried to watch this freaking film three times, and every time I either fell asleep or got distracted. But I somehow made it through and pieced it together. I'm just gonna agree with everything you said. I mean, it was terrible. The dialogue was garbage. The only redeemable element, like we said, was Scarlett Johansson, kind of, because she's the only good actor in this, and the spiders killing these horrible, deplorable people. So if you're bored and you want to watch spiders just kill things, watch this movie. But it's supposedly an homage to the 50s B-movies, but I feel like there's better ones. And I don't know. Just don't waste your time. If you want to see David Arquette, watch Scream. Just don't waste your yeah, time. Yeah, just just go watch them. That's with giant ants in a yes. similar um, plot. So just go watch that. That's kind of like the the pillar of that genre. So <laughs> exactly, save yourself an hour and a half and go watch a better movie. 
Exactly. Or if you're bored, make a drinking game out of it. Take a shot for every person that's killed. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll come back with a bonus episode about uh, a drinking game based around eight-legged freaks. <laughs> there we go. Well, I guess now it's time to pick our next movie with Major Samantha. Oh, thank, thank goodness. Let's watch the taste of this film out of our mouths and with that we're gonna go enlist the help of major samantha our friendly random number generator to help us pick a film that's hopefully better than eight-legged freaks from (laughs) our list of 118 films and from that lovely list she has selected number 92 it is a film from 1996 directed by tim burton it is mars attacks wow oh i'm excited this is a Jack Nicholson sighting. Oh, man, I'm excited. Yeah, we get a Tim Burton Jack Nicholson sighting on the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am Sweet. so excited to watch this film. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Great, great movie. I'm excited to review it, Chris, and it is always a pleasure doing this with you. <laughs> Likewise, my friend. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That is the best place to do it, and it helps other people like you find the show as well as drive us up the charts. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team... We will see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Keske and Sean Culp. Artwork design by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.